Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com biggerpockets. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, everyone. Welcome to On The Market. I'm Dave Meyer, your host, joined with James Daynard up in Seattle today. James, ready for the game? I am ready. Um, I, I got I got my cough drops. I'm ready to scream as loud. The 12th man is a real thing. So I will be screaming with him. I've always wanted to go to a game there. Is it really something different? Oh, when, when you're back here, I will take you. Yeah, I've been season ticket holder for a long time. It is loud. Like, yeah, when when Beast Mode did the Beast Quake, yeah. <laughs> it was the most intense thing I've ever heard in my life. It was absolutely crazy. Yeah, that sounds fun. Well, I'm going to be in Seattle like in two weeks, but you're not going to be there, unfortunately. But next year, we'll do it. If there's a game, I might be able to give you tickets. Let me check the schedule. Well, I'm definitely in. Well, let's get to real estate. So today we have Ben Miller, who is the CEO of Fundrise, who just full disclosure is the sponsor of our show. But Ben is the single most knowledgeable people about real estate I've met in my life. And this is a fantastic episode and interview that we just had. Can you give a brief summary to everyone listening about what they can expect to hear here? I think this is such a great episode. This is actually one of my favorite ones that we've done. And the reason being is everyone's looking for this opportunity and they're frozen right now. They're like, I'm not going to buy anything until 2000, like until I figure out what to buy. Ben talks about what's coming down our pipeline and as an investor to prepare of where the major opportunities are and, and the hints he drops are, I mean, that's where everyone wants to know where to make the wealth. It is what we're going to talk about on, on, on this episode. I do want to just give a little bit of a disclosure here because some of what Ben talks about is a little more advanced. Uh, we get into sort of the details of 
the banking system and how loans are generated in real estate, specifically commercial real estate. But it is crucially important to what Ben's thoughts are about what's happening in real estate right now. And he provides really good concrete examples of how some of the shifting dynamics in the debt markets uh, and this big deleveraging, as he calls it, that we're going to see over the next couple of years could impact commercial real estate assets. So it's a fascinating episode. I, I personally learned a ton, um, but just be, be forewarned that there is some nerdy wonkery in here. But for I know for people like James and I, we loved it. Oh, it was I, I, I love shooting the 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 with Ben. It's just you know he, he oh, this is a like I I think I sent you an email before the show. I was like I had to listen to this podcast twice to digest it, but it is fascinating and it is it probably changed my whole strategy for what I'm going to do in 2023. Wow. All right. Well, those are bold words. So if, if James is taking it that seriously, you definitely want to listen to this. So we're going to take a quick break, but then we'll be right back with the CEO of Fundrise, Ben Miller. Ben Miller, the CEO of Fundrise, welcome back to On The Market. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, we're, we're excited because last time we had a great, great conversation talking a lot about uh, build to rent, but James and I have both listened to a podcast you were on recently. James admitted he listened to it twice because he liked it so much. <laughs> uh, that was talking about deleveraging. Uh, you called, I think it was called the great deleveraging on that podcast episode. And it was fascinating. So we were hoping to to start there and just learn a little bit about your thoughts on this topic. So can you just start by telling us a little bit about what deleveraging is? Yeah, yeah. So it's a it, it means to reduce the amount of debt you have, less leverage, delever, and that's uh, basically um, I think going to be a a ratchet on the economy and on uh, all assets this uh, coming year or two. And so when you're talking about that deleveraging in terms of real estate, are you saying existing property owners are going to reduce the amount of, of leverage they have on properties or are you know purchases on a go-forward basis going to use less debt? Or how would you describe sort of the phenomenon of deleveraging as it pertains to real estate investing? Yeah. So the argument I'm making, right, is that virtually the entire financial system, not just real estate, has to reduce the amount of debt it has. It has to delever. And that is because we were in a low interest rate environment, basically zero interest rate environment for 15 years. And before that, we'd been in a falling interest rate environment for 40 years. So that's a long time. And we moved to a high and rising interest rate environment. So you're basically, it's like you're a fish and now you're in the air. It's like a different, it's a sea change, right? Completely different environment. And in that rising interest rate or high interest rate environment, the amount of debt a asset can support is less, right? So like to put the math on it, rather, you have a business, you have an apartment building, and you have uh, a certain amount of income from it, let's just say a million dollars a year, right? When you're debt service doubles, which everybody's debt service in the new interest rate environment has gone up at least 2x, maybe 3x, you know, you can't support the same amount of debt service as you could before. So, so you have to have less debt 
on the asset. And are you seeing this already starting to happen uh, in your portfolio or how are you noticing this manifesting itself? Yeah, well, I can talk about us and then I can talk about what I'm seeing firsthand. So we're, we're a little bit different than most borrowers. We're, we have essentially what's like a public REIT where there are, there are publicly registered REITs. And so we're, our leverage is much lower. Our average leverage in our funds is 45%, 43%. So that's a lot lower than most companies or businesses lever their assets. A typical private borrower probably wants to lever 75%, 65%, maybe 80%. So for us, basically, we don't really have um, this this higher leverage problem. But but we do have a couple assets where I, where I have it, you know, because it's the average leverage. So some are higher. Um, and when I look at a, I'll give you an example asset and sort of how it's playing out and what it means. And you can then extrapolate that to sort of a lot of other uh, borrowers. So we have a $300 million warehouse line that holds a lot of rental residential with a big investment bank. And we got that line of credit or warehouse line. It's a revolver. So you can pay, you can buy, you can pay it down, you can borrow it again uh, about 18 months ago. And so when we got it, we bought a interest rate cap. And I think talking about interest rate der- derivatives is like a really interesting sort of a, a subset underneath this topic. And it was basically what, what the investment banks like to do is lend their balance sheet to you. And then you take that and you, you buy real estate or, or anything. And then they go and they securitize it. You know, they basically, they, their business is really by generating fees and they use their balance sheet to basically enable themselves to get more capital management fees, capital market fees. So that's really what they're doing. So they're not really lending to you. They're really just bridging you to the, to the securitization markets. And um, securitization markets last year, 12 months ago, you could borrow, like that portfolio we were, we've, we've built, you could borrow at 2.25% fixed for five years. And now that securitization market is 6%, right? So we have to pay down that, that line with that investment bank. We have to pay it down. We'll do that. And they see we have to bring it down from what was probably 73% leverage to, you know, 55% leverage. And that's basically a pay down of about 15, 20%. But it's illustrative of, of you know, when interest rates have gone up so much, you have to basically have to pay down. And, and, and we don't have to pay down until the cap expires, interest rate cap. Basically, like the, the size of the loan we, we got is too big for an interest rate that's 6, 7, 8%. So we, so we, you know, we have the liquidity, we have a lot of liquidity, so it's not going to be a problem for us, but for a lot of borrowers, if your lender turns around and says, I need you to write a check for 20% of the loan, and I need that on every single loan that ever, that comes due or any loan you're, that basically you're going to get for a new property, um, that's, that basically is a problem for a lot of borrowers. Yeah, this is uh, really interesting because it, there's, you know, with the sudden increase in rates, right? This is the fastest we've ever seen rates be 
increase this this quickly. We, uh, we're seeing this like in kind of all segments. And I think everybody is seeing these interest rates rise, and they're all thinking that the housing market's going to crash and that there is some sort of crash coming. And, it, you know, for a while, I've been thinking that there's going to be this investment graveyard because of exactly what you're talking about, where the, 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 the loan to values do not work with the current money. And there's going to be this massive liquidity demand to pay down these loans right now. And I know, uh, you know, a lot of apartment guys I, for the last four or five years or, or the last two years, I know we we staggered out our portfolio to be at five, seven, and nine years on fixed rates because, or in 10 years, because we didn't want to get into that liquidity crunch. But I feel like I'm seeing this now everywhere on any kind of leverage where it's hard money. It could be banking. It could be uh, commercial loans where the, the, the debt, where the, 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 the asset now can no longer pay for itself. And there's going to be this huge shortfall of money. And, I think that's where we're going to see the biggest opportunity coming up is this demand for liquidity. So it sounds like generally, I mean, across the commercial real estate spectrum, we're seeing people who have adjustable rates or commercial loans that are are reaching maturity. They're basically facing the prospect of either having their current loan going up or they're going to have to pay off their loan or refinance at a much higher rate. And this is going to cause a lot of liquidity issues uh, across commercial real estate. So first and foremost, is this mostly with residential commercial or are you seeing this sort of across the the asset classes? Residential is probably the best. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. And <laughs> office is probably the worst. I mean, I mean, so I don't know, on my podcast, I had Larry Silverstein, the owner developer of the World Trade Center, and he and I, and so like, it, which was insane interview, and he was talking about, he's like, I've been through, he's 91 years old, and he's, like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, talking about one building that he's developing that's $5 billion. You only need one if it's $5 billion. I mean, then you're pretty good. That's working smart. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm a piker compared to him. So, but anyways, like, so, so like. Um, at office, like you have office buildings throughout all these big downtowns that are just like, oh my God, they're just, they're unfinanceable. Like literally you couldn't get a bank in the country to give you a loan at any price, like period, like done, like it's zero liquidity. That's what liquidity means. Ability to get money, no money. So office is the worst, um, you know, but I mean, you know, if you're a small business, forget about it. Like it's, it's, every, it's everything it's. And so, um, like, so one of the interesting, so I talked to another a bunch of banks this week, this week, this week, yeah, yesterday, the day before one of the banks was, who was a bar, we are a borrower, big, you know, big relationship with them. And, um, they were telling me, so this is like a top 15 largest bank in the country, hundreds of billions of dollars of assets, hundreds of billions of dollars. And they said to me, like, so we, you know, the way, so where do banks get money, right? That's a question, right? It's, I love to understand how, like, my counterparties work. Like, what, because if you understand how they work, you understand how they will behave. So banks, most, I mean, 90 some percent of their money comes from runoff. Never heard that term. In banking and insurance or asset management, you have deals that pay off. And as they pay off, you have money to redeploy or relend. So it's called runoff. Oh, okay. and, and so, yeah, so it's, that's actually where most lending, when you go to a bank and you borrow money, it's actually from um, somebody else paid off their loan 
And that's why they can lend you more money because they're usually like, you know, pretty heavily levered up. You know, banks are levered nine times or something. Of all the people levered, banks are the most levered. And so you know, nine times is like 90% leverage, right? So, and I think they're actually like 92 or 3% levered technically. So anyways, um, so this bank basically probably lent $30 billion in 2022. You know, I said to them, how much, you know, what's going on with you and how, how's going on with like this liquidity crunch? And he says, he says to me, for 2023, our forecast for the amount of lending we can do based on the amount of runoff we'll have is net by next December, we'll be able to lend $100 million. This is a bank with hundreds of millions of dollars of assets. Hundreds of billions. Billions. This is so they would have they would have normally lent, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 billion in a single year. Whoa. And they only have 100 million to lend next year. What? How, what is it just? Yes. What? Okay. So you're, you're <laughs> saying that none of these deals are going to pay off because they think they're going to default or just no one's going to sell or like what, what's, where does the lack of runoff come from? Yeah. So there's, so, okay. So, well, I mean, essence is a deal, like for a deal to pay off, it either has to sell, right. And nobody's going to sell or the lend or the borrower has to write you a check, which they probably got from a refinancing with someone else. But since nobody will finance you, there's just nobody to, there's nobody will pay off their loans. That's what's happening. It's already, it's a fact. Like, and, I, and I'm, I'm talking about, I talked to just, I mean, in the last three weeks, like since I, leading up to the last podcast in the last two weeks, I met with probably seven of the top 15 banks in the, in the country. Like seven of the 15, all exact same. Really? They're all exactly the same situation. Yes. This is why I listened to that episode twice. People didn't believe me. That's what I, I was on Reddit and they were like, no way, this can't be true. <laughs> it, it, you were talking about the turtles, right? Like how, like it just, will you, will you go over the turtle concept? Cause it, it was, it made it very, cause it's a very complex topic and it made it very tangible. And it's like this never ending, well, go ahead Ben, go ahead and explain it. Okay. If I can do it justice here, cause I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not normally good at being like uh, succinct. So, I mean, the the point of the banks, right? The point of the story about the banks is you, you don't often think about where the banks are getting their money, right? And like, there's a saying in politics, which is always follow the money, right? You to under, you got to follow the money. And so, so you're going to borrow from, from the bank, but where did the bank get the money? The bank got it from depositors. Or they got it from, um, you know, from um, a payoff. And then the bank levered that, like the banks are levered you know, they borrow or, or any, any, anybody in the market who is, who is um, lending to you borrowed against their asset. So like, just to try to make that simpler, if you go to a bank and give them, you know, your house as collateral, you get a, you know money from them and they have your collateral. That collateral is an asset and they take those assets and they borrow against them. Right. So, so now your lender is a borrower from someone else. Your lender is also a, a, a borrower, and you know, who do they borrow that money from? Like another institution who also borrowed money. So, like, there's this infinite chain of everybody is a borrower and a lender in the system, and sort of stacks up. Like, there's like this sort of like in, in like a hard money world, right? You have a you have a, a property with a hard money lender. The hard money lender may have borrowed against that portfolio of hard money loans from a bank, and the bank 
has that collateral and that bank has borrowed against that portfolio of loans. So the bank's levered. And where did they borrow the money from? They borrowed the money from you know different parts of the securitization market, for example, who levered that up with repo loans. And so it's there's just so much more debt in the system than you can see. And, it, and because basically we went from a low interest rate environment to a high interest rate environment, everybody in that chain of borrowing to lender, the lender to borrower, everybody's over levered. I mean, not, I mean, like 90 some percent of the market, some huge part of the market is over levered. And so as like the defaults happen or as the paydowns happen, it's just a sort of like cascading effect. And I, I'll give you an example. I know a big, big private equity fund. Everybody's probably heard of them. Let's say, I don't know, top, top three or four in the country. Every private equity fund started credit funds over the last 10 years, debt funds, right? And they went out and became lenders. So if you have an apartment building or an office building and you borrowed from them, let's say 75% of the money, they turned around and, and borrowed that money from a bank. And so they have a $100 million property. They lent you $75 million. They turn around and borrowed $55 million from Wells Fargo, who is actually uh, pretty active in this part of the market. They call it an A note. And then the, the private equity firm keep a B note. And then the borrower basically just thinks that the money was borrowed from this fund. But it's actually like really more complicated than that. So what happens is let's say you, you have a loan with this credit fund and your loan's coming due on December 1st. And you go to the credit fund and say, hey, you know, I need an extension. There's no, the market's horrible. I'm not gonna sell this today. Let's just extend this loan by 12 months. Well, that credit fund's gonna say no because they have a loan from a bank and the banks, and they turn around the bank and say, hey bank, we need to extend this loan. And the bank's like, no, pay me. Because hmm. certain banks are saying, F you, pay me. And so the credit funds turn around and saying, no, pay me. And you're with the borrower saying, no, it looks fine. The property's doing fine. Just extend, just give me an extension. I mean, what are we talking about? Just give me an extension. How many times have you gone to a bank and just expected to extend the loan? It's like a nothing. What are we, it's like, fine, I'll pay like a small fee. Let's just extend this thing. No, you can't extend it. Pay me. Well, how much do you want? 10%, 20%. What, you know, they, they need to turn around and pay down their lender because they have to delever the loan that they, they actually used as collateral to get more, to get the money to pay you. So there's like this chain of like, nobody can not pay down because everybody's borrowed from someone else. And so all that, if you have a loan, you think you're going to extend it in the next 12 months just because the property's doing fine. You go to the bank, you might be surprised to them say, no. So, so what happens? Then? I, mean, like, I just think the, the whole system is obviously so dependent on this chain continuing to operate. What happens when, like you said, at any point, any one of the lenders could just be like, no, pay me. So what happens to, let's just say an operator of a, like a multifamily property, they need to like, what happens when they can't get liquidity or they can't refinance? How does this all play out? So there's like a few possibilities. So let's do the easy to the hard. So the easy is that the, that multifamily operator says, turn fine. I'm going to go sell all of my freaking stocks and bonds I own. I have, you know, they probably have money outside. They're going to sell it all and pay down. They're not going to lose their apartment buildings. So they can turn around and sell all their assets and, and pay down the lender. That's like a, that's a, like a luxury situation to be. I just want to like 
point out the second order consequence of that is a lot of people are going to have to be selling their liquid assets like stocks mm. and bonds to pay down their loans. And I'm talking about even massive institutions are going to have to do this. They're going to have to pay down their loans. And so the amount of liquidity is going to go away. And when you have forced sellers, prices fall. So that was exactly what happened in, in England. If you guys remember UK, like two months ago, yep. the gilt or like the UK treasury spiked and all these pension funds had to go turn around and sell other assets to basically cover their margin on their treasuries, on their, on their gilts. So like, so the, the liquidity crisis happened not in, not in, the, in gilt, but actually in CLOs. So that's why like the cascading effects are like much more sneaky because it, it will hit the liquid markets because that's where you that's where you get money that's where you get liquidity somebody along the line is going to have to have have to get liquidity even so so let's just say the borrower says I can pay down okay scenario two they can't pay down they go to the lender and the lender says depends on the lender I mean so now if you're talking about credit fund they're going to foreclose they're going to foreclose they have to they don't have a choice they can't the extend and pretend that was the playbook for all of banking for the last 15 years they can't do they can't extend and pretend because the loan no longer covers right who's going to pay the interest rate that doesn't cover it just i mean it just literally fails their fdic regulations that say like you have to have capital ratios that so it doesn't it just fails it so they've they don't have a choice the regulator is going to make them default that loan so credit funds are going to foreclose and the, the private equity fund i was thinking about foreclosed on two deals last month from huge famous borrowers absolutely like and all is happening nobody's talking about it right not hitting the news but you would heard of the you would have heard of the borrower and you would have heard of the private equity fund the residential deal they foreclosed on they're happy to own it but they even though they are the lender they still have to pay down the senior because if they foreclose if they have a a big apartment building and they would say 80% and I know of a deal where this happened in a in a major city the deal basically they even at 80% that credit fund has to pay down their senior lender it's not enough like even if they foreclose the senior lender that has that that asset now they foreclosed on it's still overlevered with the their senior lender do you do you follow yeah it's just it, it, leverage to the tilt it's just a, it's a, it's a complete mess yeah so it's confusing <laughs> Right. So like, I, I almost wish I could say names, but it, it got me in too much trouble. But like, <laughs> so I'm just going to, I'm going to name like, you know, you went to ABC lender and you borrowed 80%. ABC lender now foreclosed on your 200 unit apartment building. Great. They have a 200 unit apartment building, but they have to, they borrowed from, you know, XYZ lender. XYZ lender is still saying, pay me down, pay me off, pay me down. So even now, even that ABC lender has to, sell some they have to do a capital call they have to get liquidity to pay down pay down and so there's again liquidity getting sucked out of the system right as liquidity gets sucked out of the system prices fall right? it's the opposite of quantitative easing opposite of what happened in 2021 where there was all this money everywhere and prices went up everywhere money is is going is being withdrawn from the system like m2 if you're familiar with money supply like the m2 is going to fall because of this deleveraging dynamic and also quantitative tightening, right? So you're actually going to see, I think, a liquidity shock next year as all this money leaves the system. So that's like a second scenario. <laughs> they also foreclosed on an office building and they're like, F, 
this? What am I going to do with this office building? And they probably, the office building is probably worth less than their loan, like way less, maybe actually less than the, the senior lender's loan. They may give that whole office building to the actual bank, you know, XYZ Bank, like you know, Bank of America or something like. So there's like offices just defaults left and right. I mean, it's going to be a bloodbath. And, and if everybody talks about office to residential conversion, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, we've had a few people on the <laughs> yeah. show. We've had a few people on the show come on and be like, "Yeah, that doesn't work." <laughs> it does, it's it's so you can well I'm getting, but it's like it's just like some you know like academic or somebody talking about it, government policy. It's like you're dreaming. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like like maybe like five percent of offices could realistically be converted, if that. Maybe like one obvious point. Hey, if you have an office, how often is an office building a hundred percent vacant? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Like never. There's always some, you know, five tenants in there and the buildings 20% lease. How do you renovate a building when there's 20% lease with five tenants? It, it, like you can't. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make anyway. So, so yeah. So like exactly I, I've at the question to me interesting is basically does the regulator right now, the regulators like has the hurt on the banks that really like just absolute thumb screws to them. So the question is, will the regulators start looking the other way and saying, okay, I know that you have all these assets that are like basically in default and not covering. I'm going to look the other way. Like that's a question that is, you know, I don't know. I, I suspect the regulator is not going to do that. I think they're going to, for a bunch of reasons. And I, I, I say this a lot in my little world, but like this is more like 1992 mm-hmm. than it is like any other period in our lifetimes. Yeah, in 1992, the investment companies got, like, everyone thinks of the, the crash as 2008, but in 1988 to 1992, the investment banks got rocked. And it was the same type of liquidity crunch because the Fed did not step in at all. They did not look the other way. And these investment companies, I think, like, I was reading up on that, and it, it wasn't like 90% of investment companies just got hammered during that time. It was like some astronomical amount that it kind of shocked me. Um, and they, they couldn't recover for like a good two, three years. I, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. So I still, I say that that was the worst real estate crisis in American history, way worse than 2008. So it's just like we, most people are our, our age, you know, it's way before us. And, but, um, yeah, so basically that the policy approach back then was let them all burn. And they foreclosed on, I think, 8,000 banks, and every developer had their loans called. And I mean, so developers, like every developer you can possibly name was either either lost all their assets or basically was like nearly about to lose all their assets. I mean, there was nobody was spared. And so like a lot of times you see with, with policy and actually generally with human behavior is if something happened that was bad, people don't repeat that mistake until enough times passed that people forgot. <laughs> and then they do it again. <laughs> Seems like it's about time. Yeah, it's been 30 years. <laughs> we're overdue, probably. Yeah, so we're like the full the full circle. If it doesn't happen in this cycle, it's definitely happening next time we have a down cycle. Like because it just seems like the, the people who, who um, all these lenders who got over-levered, all these borrowers who got over-levered, they seem like the bad guy, and we should just... Let them all burn, and that's like it, it feels very politically satisfying 
So we might end up there again this time. You just don't think there's appetite, political appetite to bail out banks again after what happened 15 years ago? Yeah, and bank, bail out private equity funds and bail out, like, you know, the rich. Like, that doesn't... I think that, that, there's probably not going to be any more stimulus, like, this decade. Oh, yeah. Bailouts and stimulus, forget about it. Yeah, stop the stimulus. But you got sometimes you have to let things burn a little bit, right? Like it's got. I mean, that's capitalism. That's you capitalism. To, yeah, that's the basic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and what, what what Ben's talking about is a big deal, and it's in all different spaces of this. You know, people are just middlemaning money everywhere for the last two years and making good returns, and it's not just in the multifamily space. And these office buildings, like the hard money space was really bad as well. Like these these lenders would come in, they would sell the notes off at 7%, 8%. Mm-hmm. And now these lenders are paying to their senior bank, they're paying 10 11%. And what's happening is, is these fix and flip or burn investors, they're coming in and they're going, hey, my projects are taking too long. I'm over budget. The value kind of fell. I need that extension. And their rates are getting jacked up five, six points, or they're having to come in with money, or they're just not getting extended at all. We're actually a hard money lender up in Washington, and we've had so many requests for refinancing other lenders because they have no choice. The lender will not extend right now, and it's causing a big, big deal. And then we're looking at the loan to values, and that's our answer is, yeah, we can do this loan, but you need to bring in another 15% down, and these people do not have it. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so terrifying of where, you know, in 2008, we saw a lot of REOs and bank loans through the residential space. But this is like, I mean, if you don't have the money, you can't pay your bills. And these investment banks and lenders, they're going to have to take this. There's going to be a lot of REOs and uh, deed and lose going back to these banks. And, you know, banks are going to become, I mean, we were all freaked out that the hedge funds were going to be like the biggest residential owner with all this acquisition of housing. And they might be just based on bad loans, right? Coming back to them. Right. And so again, all the interesting things are the second and third order consequences. So as you're saying, the second order consequences, everything you just said, James, is that uh, appraisals are going to start coming down because you're going to have all these like forced you know, all these bad REO marks and, and, and people are going to be forced to sell and that's going to really hurt your LTV. So then you're going to go to borrow money or refinance and the LTVs are going to be even worse. And then there's going to be more foreclosures. And so you, you get into, we're going into this cycle that just starts to like tear apart. It's a, it's sort of like this vicious cycle down. And, um, that's one of the other consequences across the board and in every asset class, like we're a fintech and, you know, buy now, pay later. Guess what? Super levered. Yeah. So I assume, you know, you said appraisals are going to come down. So I, I presume that you, you think there's going to be a significant decline in property values across commercial real estate assets. I mean, it has to, right? Like if you... Yeah, there's no question. It, I mean, it's a great opportunity, essentially, because we're not talking about like organic pricing, like the price that the banks sell things at. Like have make there's no relationship to what you think is actually worth after you know the next you know I think probably 24 months of real downturn and distress and so there's like an opportunity to buy or opportunity to lend to and if you have like low amount of debt I mean this is literally what Larry Silverstein was saying he's like you know you you go through horrible crises you come out of it you still own the building. 
and now he's whatever worth ten billion dollars or something. Like you know, you, you, so you, it, it's it's a, it's part of the game. You, you just and you don't get don't get caught in the um, in the in the part of the game where you basically like lose your asset. So you you mentioned Ben that there's a lot of opportunity it, for people listening to this. How would you recommend they take advantage of some of the upcoming opportunity you see? I mean, you can go talk to the banks, approach the banks. The banks are going to have, they don't have it yet, and they're really slow. The brokers that were doing all of the lending will move to become the brokers for this middle capital, like this sort of bridge capital, or, you know, I, I call it like this gap funding, rescue funding. All the brokers that were previously doing the work for to find you senior loans will now do this work. So the brokers are probably the biggest source of flow. It's it's funny the stock market. I, I still think that like there's a there's another leg down in the and then overall markets as the recession hits earnings. So um, you want to be in credit. You want to be in credit this part of the cycle because the real value, the real opportunistic value, I think is still a ways off. Um, but the the lenders they're the they're really like the, the headwaters. But the deal flow is like going to be going to percolate everywhere else. Yeah, we've seen. I know we've reached out, and it, we're definitely getting a lot of response. A lot of response. Uh, like the the different types of lenders are a little bit. I think seeing it first, like these local hard money guys are definitely seeing it first right now because the notes are shorter term, right? They're they're usually six to twelve month notes, where some of these other ones have been. You know, they're two, three, five years, and there is a lot of inventory starting to show up. I mean, I, I have been getting quite a bit of calls from lenders saying, hey, we just took this back Dean Lou, or we're going to foreclose this. What can you pay for this? And, and they don't typically like my number, uh, but it's the number's the number. And um, But that is, you can do it right now I, with the local smaller lenders. They're not big, big deals, but there there is volume coming through for like the smaller investors or the mid-grade investors right now. And it, it is coming to market as we speak. So, and it sounds like Ben, you're putting together a credit fund uh, at Fundrise to take advantage of some of this. Yeah, we we we've had a credit strategy for a long time, but we we had sort of sized it back over the last two couple of years because it just was we were deploying mostly elsewhere because it wasn't attractive, and now all of a sudden it's like, I mean, I feel like what's happening now in the next couple of years will happen, you know, to us or for us, like five times in our life like the kind of deals we'll see the kind of lending we can we can make and um you know i went through 2008 i have all these scars from 2008 and so i have like 85 percent of the time it's business as usual and then there's a few you know a few times where it's just the entire ball game is made or, or lost and so yeah we're going to do credit first and then we'll do equity second because you can you can almost see the other side of this, right? You can you you can feel confident that it's not permanent. It's a couple of years of transition to essentially new new borrowing environment, and you just un, people are some people are unlucky. They had maturities come due in the middle of this basically like this period where there's high rates and no liquidity, and that's that sucks. I mean, I feel I mean it's it's, it's unfortunate for them, and um, you know, and someone's but it's an opportunity for someone else. Problem is an opportunity. Uh, I'll give you what, another example. This is sort of outside real estate, but you know we have a, a tech fund we launched, and I we're debating this. I don't know if we're going to do this because it's so controversial. But I have sales coverage. I was buying all this. Like I came in and started lending to all these big 
you know, the investment banks have these, like, you know, they, they get these deals and they securitize them. And, and the problem is all these deals they intended to lay off or syndicate, they say, they got stuck with. It's called a hung, hung loans. So they have like tens of billions of all these hung loans. And like an example of one that's well known is they have $12 billion of Twitter, Twitter's debt. And I'm like, and I, and I know exactly who has it. I'm talking to them and I'm like, well, at some point they're going to like, just dump this debt for nothing. Like <laughs> they're just going to be like, get me away from this thing. And I, and I'm, we're debating internally. Like, is this a good opportunity or is this like just too messy? Wow. Right. It's so messy. It's the, the brand new debt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The new debt. At the, so, so I, 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 I don't know if it's a good idea or not. If this is like an interesting question, but it's like that kind of thing is like insane. Right. I mean, Twitter was worth $44 billion a year, a year ago. And you're like, do I like it at five billion? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> that must be a fun debate to have. <laughs> well, it's just like also it's just like I don't really want the noise. Yeah, that's the problem with it. It's like not just a valuation question. I'm like I'm not making any. I'm only making an economic decision here, but I'm not sure that's allowed. Anyway, so but it's, it's just illustrative. It's a totally illustrative of what you know. That's that's a special special time to have that kind of investment opportunity. All right. Well, Ben, thank you so much. This has been very, very insightful. I've learned a tremendous amount. And honestly, it's really surprising people aren't talking about this. So I guess that maybe that's my last question to you is why, like, why is this not being talked about more broadly? Yeah, it was so fun to be here. I, I, everybody talks about this, but back in early February, I was obsessed with the pandemic of 2020, February, 2020. And um, we were going to California with my fam- my kids and my wife. And I, I it was like, we, we were going to be in California for Valentine's Day. And I was like, we can't go. And I made the kids wear masks on the plane. And, and everybody, my wife's like, you're f-ing losing it. Just <laughs> <laughs> She was so annoyed with me. And at some point, everybody woke up to it, right? And like, like it, and I did, there's something where information has to leak out to the public and it adds up it just sort of it requires like a preponderance of of data before people like will shift and then it happens all at once yeah people don't want to believe inconvenient news yeah and it's just like people are busy it's not what they're focused on and so it just takes enough pings before people will start to pay attention and so um so I, that's why i just think that's like and and of course everybody in this case it's the all the all the participants in the financial system they're not talking about it. Like, this is the last thing I want to talk about. They want to say, everything's great. Yeah. And same thing with China. They're like, everything is great. There's no, pay no attention to like the welding, the doors were welding shut in Wuhan, right? Like, like, so again, like there's like, there's active participants trying to stop this from becoming a story. Hmm. And that's like, and it's, and that's confusing for the media and it takes a while for it to just to graduate all right well we'll have to follow up with you soon as this as this unfolds we would love to get your opinion because uh, you're obviously uh, a bit of a canary in the coal mine right now uh, be, war- warning us ahead of time so we really appreciate your time ben this is always a lot of fun when you come so thanks so much for joining us yeah thanks for having me yeah, thanks ben I don't know whether I should be excited or scared right now. <laughs> I'm actually extremely excited because I feel like we're all looking for that massive opportunity. And this is this is going to be a big deal. Like, you know, it's uh, 
this is, you know, I, I, for a while, I've always thought about this investor graveyard, and I think it, I mean, it could be a banker graveyard, not an investor graveyard. Yeah, you've been saying this for a while that specifically, and just for everyone to understand, we're talking about mostly commercial. I mean, this could bleed into residential, as Ben was saying, there's all these sort of like secondary and tertiary impacts, but it could be really interesting for people who have syndicators, people who can raise money to start going and trying to buy these assets really cheap right now or in the next six months, whatever. Yeah, and especially because banks don't want to own assets. Like a lot of times they don't want them. They want to get rid of them. And, you know, if you have liquidity and, you know, it, it's going to make a big, big difference. And, you know, I've been saying that for a while because the, the weird thing is I've saw people make a lot of money over two years. And then like six months ago, they'd be like, oh, I'm, ta- I'm strapped on cash. And I'm like, well, you've just made this much money over the last two years. Why are you strapped on cash? And that, that, that could come to fruition in 2023. There, there's going to be a call for some liquidity, and it might all be on the street. So, I mean, this, you're, you're a perfect person to answer this question because you do a little bit of everything. You, do, you lend, you flip, you buy distressed assets. Like If, you were, if, if all of what Ben thinks is going to come to fruition does and we start to see uh, liquidity crunch, b- declining prices in commercial real estate, like how would you look to best take advantage of it? You know, for us, I think we're, we're trying to gear up with more private equity and equity partners to where we're trying to bring in some bigger dollars. Like on this, what, a good example is we've done more syndicating deals in the last 120 to 150 days than we did in the, the previous two years because the liquidity is on a crunch. But partnering up with investors that have cash right now is key to everything. And whether it's fix and flip apartments, uh, it could be burr properties or cash flow properties. But, you know, for us, you want to attach to where the liquidity is. But it's, you know, for us, we're raising some money right now because we do see the opportunity with these buying notes, buying uh, defaulted buildings, and then just really start building the relationship with with these people with paper. And, you know, like what Ben talked about, it's hard to get a hold of the big banks. You can't get a hold of them. I, I don't know anybody there. But these small local lenders, you can be reaching out to them and saying, hey, I have liquidity. I'm looking for projects. Let me know what you have. And, and I can tell you, we, we've gotten some fairly good buys recently where I'm like, I just throw a low number out and they do the deal. They're like, can you close it in five days? And and we're, we're able to kind of click that out. So just just meet talking to the people that, that have been in that space, all these hard money guys that have been harassing you for two years to lend you money, talk to them, see what opportunities are, and then keep your liquidity on hand. Don't rush into that deal and make sure it's the right one. That's very good advice. All right. Well, thanks, James. This was a lot of fun. I really do uh, enjoy having a conversation with you and Ben. It's always a, a high-level conversation, pretty uh, pretty nerdy and wonky stuff. But uh, I think for those of us who really like the economy and the nuts and bolts of how this all works, it's this is a really fun episode. Oh, I, I, I love having Ben on. I, I start geeking out and going down. We go down rabbit holes, which <laughs> they're all fun to go down. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were trying to, when, when, the, when the cameras turned off, we were trying to convince Ben to let us come out to DC and hang out with him in person. So maybe we'll do that next time. Oh, I'm, I'm 100% in. All right. Well, thanks a lot, James. Have fun at the game. Yeah, go Hawks. I don't really have any any uh, dog in this fight, but I'll root for the Hawks for you. So hopefully you don't have to, uh, I guess, can I say that on the air? <laughs> yeah, I got I got a big bet on the line right now. I, you know. Do you want to tell everyone what your bet is on the Seahawks game? Yeah, I think my mouth got me into trouble because we're playing the 49ers. They have a better talented team. And I made a bet with one of my good buddies who's also a 49er fan. 
one uh, that it, the loser has to wear the other team's logo speedo to the pool for a whole day. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I'm hoping, uh, I'm I'm really hoping it's not me. Yeah, well, I'll I'll root for the Seahawks for your sake, but uh, that is a pretty funny bet, and hopefully you didn't just tell too many people this is the the tail end of the episode, so maybe no one's listening anymore. <laughs> yeah, everyone should be rooting that the Seahawks win. No one wants to see me in the speedo. So. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, man. This was a lot of fun. Thank you all for listening. This is our last episode of the year. So happy new year to everyone. We really appreciate you helping us and supporting us through our first year uh, for On The Market. We'll see you in 2023. On The Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Research by Pooja Jindal. And a big thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show on the market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market. It's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that, or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.